The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. Has anyone ever done something so amazing for you that when it came time to kind of let them know how much you appreciated it, you just couldn't find the words? Words failed you. One spring, I was talking to my um, brother-in-law, Eldon, and Eldon is a pastor in the Toronto area. And as I was on the telephone with him, he said, Nick, the most wonderful thing happened. And I said, tell me about it. He said, well, this couple who has their young people in our youth group, um, they drove up to our house in this one-year-old van, and they came into my house, and they sat down, and they said, Eldon, we really appreciate your ministry to our youth. We want you to take the van. And he said, where do you want me to take it? And they said, no, no, you misunderstand. We want you to have the van. We know you have three kids and you've got youth to drive around and we want to give you this van. We're getting a new one. We want to give you this van. And I remember after that phone call thinking, wow, God is really good to Alden. I said, "Uh, how about, Lord, a little bit of that goodness this way? And I offered it up as a wine, but God treated it as a prayer. And that very Thanksgiving, no word of a lie, that very Thanksgiving, in the lead up to Thanksgiving, I get a call from a businessman in Alberta. True story. And he says, "Uh, Mick, I know that you've got three kids in your family and you've got a lot of stuff to do, and I have got a minivan that I don't need. I would like to give it to you and your family. I could hear the Lord laughing behind me. So I got onto the airplane, and I did what you do on the airplane. You rehearse what you're going to say when you receive the keys, right? Because I want to do this right. And so as I was on there, I was coming up with all kinds of flowery words to express to this man how much our family was going to appreciate his gift. But when I got there, there's only two words that came to my mind. Hey, well, thank you. No, like, really, thank you. No, our family thanks you. Each one of my kids thanks you. My dog thanks you. We all thank you. Thank you. I couldn't think of anything else to say, and somehow thank you didn't quite cut it in view of the value of the gift I received. Well, this summer, we are going on a road trip through the book of the Psalms. And in the same way that you might put together a musical playlist when you set out on your summer vacation, this sermon series is aimed at creating a playlist for the journey of your life. We cannot get to all 150 psalms in the Bible songbook this summer, but we're going to take time to listen to the musical catalog and identify a few of the major types of psalms that are there. Just as when you listen to the radio, you hear jazz, blues, classical, country. Don't ask me why anybody would watch country, but some people do. It's their thing. Uh, In the same way that there's different types of music, there's different types of psalms. And so we want to help you become familiar with the songs of the Bible so that they will help you navigate um, the ups and downs of real life. So welcome to this summer course on musical appreciation, Psalms style. But before we get started, let me take a moment and recap what we've already learned about Psalms last week. Number one, if you're following along on your outline, Psalms are songs that are directed from the heart They're directed from the heart. They're heartfelt expression of what exactly is going on. Last week, Darren said there is a difference between 
uh, being truthful about our feelings and our feelings being true. But Psalms just kind of lay it out there without being politically correct, without being just so. They're just songs directed from their heart. They just tell it like it is. So they're directed from the heart. And in that next blank, they're directed to God. All the Psalms are directed to God. He is the audience. He's the one to whom all of these songs are addressed. And so number two, they are songs of worship on the one hand, and they are prayers on the other. That's what goes in the blanks. There are songs of worship on one side and prayers on the other side. They show us who God is, and they show us how to approach him. And they are songs that are written particularly to be meaningful, motivational, and what goes in the blank is the word memorable. Meaningful, motivation, and memorable. They address real-life issues, so they're meaningful. They call from a personal response, so they're motivational. And they're designed to be catchy. They're meant to stick with you. They're meant to be memorable. Well, one of the kinds of songs that you'll find in the book of Psalms is a Thanksgiving song. These Thanksgiving Psalms provide us with words to say when God has done something amazing in our life that simply leaves us speechless or tongue-tied. And so Thanksgiving songs help us in two ways. First, they remind us of what we should be thankful for. These psalms cure our gift blindness when it comes to what God has done for us. And then secondly, they provide us with the words to say to express our thanks. And so these psalms give us something to say back to God. But why is it that so often gratitude is such a stretch for us? What is it that short circuits some of our best Uh, intentions about expressing thanks? What gets in the way of us being truly grateful for the things that truly matter? Well, there's lots of things that we could write down, but I'm just going to draw your attention to four things that sometimes get in our way. And the first one is pride. Pride is that sense that, you know, I've really got my act together, and thank you very much for thinking of me, but I really don't need this, and we'll say it whether we need it or not, because we kind of want to be large and in charge, right? Um, And so sometimes pride says, listen, thanks, but no thanks. I've got this. I'm good. And so as a result, we're not thankful. And sometimes we don't even receive the gift because, you know, we're okay. Another thing that gets in our way sometimes is a sense of entitlement. We deserve this, so what's the big deal? Listen, of course God will come through for me, right? I come to church every Sunday. I'm a faithful giver. I teach Sunday school. And I always let other people out of the parking lot before I go out myself. I mean, come on, God owes me, right? Like I'm doing my part, I'm expecting God to do his part, so what's the big deal? A sense of entitlement. Sometimes it's complacency that gets in our way. We just get so used to the way God works in our lives that we forget to consider just how amazing it is that he looks out for us day by day. We get used to it. So why make a fuss about it? We're just kind of used to the fact that we always receive that. And then there's something that I invented called gift blindness. Um, It's just when we don't really appreciate the value of what it is that we've received. Uh, And when we miss the value of, of the gift, we don't tend to be particularly thankful. Now, I don't know about you, but do you have a list of good intentions? I have a list of good intentions. And uh, every Saturday morning, Uh, I look at my gift of good intentions to see what's on the top of the list. And usually what's on the top of the list every single week is clean the garage, okay? 
It's been on my list of good intentions for 30 years. But it's right there at the very, very, very top. Yeah, my good intentions. And so one day I decided to start messing around in the garage. And I knew I had about an hour before it became so discouraging that I abandoned uh, the attempt. But as I was digging around, I found this in the corner. And I looked at it and I thought, oh my word. (laughs) I didn't know that I had one of these. And uh, where in the world did this thing come from? And I thought, could this really be a... Yes, it's a violin. It's the real thing. I own a violin. Who knew? And uh, so I did what you would have done. I, I took out the bow and I thought, okay, let's see how this works. Now, I want you to know... <laughs> I, I know nothing about violins. I love to hear them. I have no clue how to play them. But I thought, I wonder what in the world this is and where it came from. And so I kind of got up to the light and I went to look for the label. And the first thing that the light hits are the words Antonio Stradivarius. I thought, oh my word. For 30 years, I've had a Stradivarius violin in my garage and I didn't even know. I was gift blind to this treasure that I had in my garage. And as I was sitting there starting to talk about all the dollars it was worth, you know, uh, I kind of looked at the label again to see if there's any more information. And as I tilted the light, it says, I can see it right now, copy of. (laughs) Copy of Antonio Saturvarius. So that kind of brought me down to earth. But listen, friends, if you had actually put a real life like you know, multi-million dollar Stradivarius in this case and put it in my garage, I'd probably go another 30 years before I realized it was there. Just gift blind. I just don't realize the value of what I've got. Psalm 40 in the Bible is attributed to David, who is Israel's worshiping warrior. Now, David is a musician and he's also a poet. And one half of the Psalms in the Bible are his compositions. This psalm, Psalm 40, and you can follow along in the Bible if you've brought one or take the one in the pew in front of you. Take it home, as a matter of fact, as our gift to you, if you wish. Um, He gives us a window into how thanksgiving works and how his heart found thankful expression in the middle of real-life circumstances. And so this song that David offers up in Psalm 40 has got three verses. In the first verse, David kind of looks back in the rearview mirror and thanks God for what he's done for him already. And then in the second verse, David looks around him and gives thanks for what God is doing for him right here and right now. And then in the very last verse, David looks ahead and gives thanks for what God is going to do in the future. So let's pick up the song in verse 1. And let's begin where David begins. So if you're following along on your outline, David begins by giving thanks for what God has done in the past. He gives thanks for what God has done in the past. And listen to how he talks about it in verse one. I patiently waited for the Lord. So he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock and put me in a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. So David begins his lyric by thinking back and recalling one of the toughest situations he ever faced. Now there are times when the picture of our lives in the moment is not what we would have chosen 
Because life has a way of throwing curveballs our way. And David tells us, I have experienced life at its most trying. The fact is, David doesn't really say much about his problem, but he does tell us about the impact of this problem on his life. What was the problem? Was it illness? We don't know. Maybe it was a relational or a family issue. He had a few of those. Maybe it was a political or an economic issue that came with being king of Israel. Or maybe it was a personal or corporate issue. We really don't know. But how bad was it? He says it was like being in the pit of destruction. It was like being stuck in the mud and the mire. And so David uses this picturesque metaphor to give voice to his feelings of futility and frustration. Anybody here from Winnipeg? Anybody? Anybody here hail from Winnipeg? Okay. So I used to live in Winnipeg, and, and one summer I was working excavation. And excavation, we are the people who dig holes in the ground. That's what we do when, when you do excavation. And in Winnipeg, when the frost is coming out of the ground in the spring, it turns the natural clay of Winnipeg into this soupy, sucking muck. And it is just absolutely... Uh, futility when it comes to having to walk through these places to put up markers and to get ready for digging the hole. And I can remember many times slogging through the muck and the mire, trying to get the job done, getting frustrated by the fact that it was just grabbing my boot everywhere I went. And every once in a while, it would grab the boot and my foot would go forward without the boot. I wish I could say songs of praise, but no, that's not what happened. That's the sort of thing that he's trying to talk about. He's trying to talk about those times in life where it's just tough slogging. It's like being in the muck and the mire. It's like being drawn down into the situation and start to feeling hopeless and frustrated. Well, whatever the problem was, it wasn't an overnight thing either. Because David says in this psalm, I waited and I waited and I waited for God to do something. And so he lived with his situation for a while. And when a difficult time stretches on and on, it starts grinding us down, doesn't it? David doesn't sugarcoat what the situation was. He doesn't try to get politically correct here. It was a disastrous set of circumstances. And in his desperation, he takes it all to God and he waits for him to act. And act, God does. David doesn't get into how bad things were. He doesn't get lost in that. Instead, he focuses on how good God is. And when his life was the pits, God heard David's wholehearted prayer and he moved to help him. And again, David is short on the details, but he's long on how God's intervention made a difference. He doesn't tell us how God solved the issue, whatever it was, but he says, here's the impact that it made on my life. God lifted him out of the miry clay. He lifted him out of the hopelessness of the situation. He did for David what David couldn't do for himself. He rescued him from the situation. And then David says, and then he set my feet on a rock. He restored my sense of stability and security. He put me in a secure place. Not only did he pull me out of the problem, he gave me a sure place to stand. And then finally, David said, but that wasn't all. He put a song of praise in my heart to replace the refrain of despair. And so using this powerful metaphor, he brought me out of the miry clay. He put my feet on a rock to stay. He put a song of praise in my heart. This is how David expresses his gratitude for what God had done for him in some of the most difficult circumstances of his life. And having faced the very worst 
And having come through it because of God's intervention, David just erupts in worship in verse 4, and he says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud and to those who turn aside to false gods. And here's what David realizes. God blesses the man or woman who trusts in him. God listens to those who are listening to him. Gratitude grows out of a certain way of seeing things. And when we recognize our reality and recognize God at work in the circumstances of our lives, then gratefulness is the appropriate response. I saw on a uh, pillow embroidered these words. I thought they were important. It's not happy people who are thankful. It's thankful people who are happy. It's not happy people who are thankful. It's thankful people who are happy. You see, gratitude is a life-shaping, life-giving response to whatever it is that life brings our way. And this realization is what is putting this song on David's lips. Finally, as you kind of move through that first verse, David responds to what God has done by giving him credit where credit is due. David says in verse 10, I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. And so in response to what God has done for him, David decides, I'm going to tell everyone who will listen. This is how we know how sincere his thanksgiving was. Troubles tend to drive us into ourselves and sometimes isolate us from other people. But David wants everyone to know how God has helped him. He wants others to learn from his experience. You and I grow in our trust and confidence in God when we see him at work in the lives of other people. It lifts our spirit. It gives us hope. It encourages us. And David doesn't want to waste the things that he has endured by keeping it to himself. He wants everyone to know how a good God works in the worst circumstances of life. And the feeling that David poetically expresses here is like that incredible feeling of gratitude that breaks over us when we wake up and realize that the nightmare of the wee hours is over and we are safe after all God has brought us through. And so these first 10 verses of Psalm 40 are really the heart of this song. They describe what David is thankful for, God's grace and mercy. And it shows us how David expressed that thanks in word and in deed. He sang of God's praises. He shared the good news of what God had done in his life. But David's psalm of thanks doesn't stop there. He doesn't spend all his time looking in the rearview mirror. This song has a couple of more verses to sing. And so the second verse, I've entitled, Giving Thanks for What God is Doing in the Present. If you're following on your outline, that's what you write in the blank. Giving thanks to what God has done in the present. Someone has said that the problem with the here and now is that it's just so here and just so now. And in this next verse of his Thanksgiving song, David turns his attention from what God has done for him to what God is doing in his life right now. And even as he celebrates what God has done for him in the past, uh, David is facing another very current crisis. But gratitude has given him another perspective, a whole new way of looking at his current situation. Now again, in this second verse, David remembers how God has helped him in the past. And it is because God has helped him that he looks for God to come through again in the present. That's his expectation. And so listen to his lyric in verse 11. It is an expression of faith in the form of a prayer. David says, do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. And then he simply lays out, as he wants to do, lays out his current calamity. 
And David's present trouble has got a twofold source. The reality is that God is always good, but we are not always as good. On the one hand, David says, listen, Lord, I've messed up. This is what he says in verse 12. For troubles without number surround me, my sins have overtaken me, I cannot see. Now David, according to the Bible, was a man after God's own heart, but that did not prevent him from making some really bad choices along the way. He was a hero with a few blind spots, and so he's just owning it. He's saying, listen, my current dilemma, Lord, I'm just being straightforward here. My own sins have created a lot of what I'm facing right now. My own sins have overtaken me. But on the other hand, that's not the only dynamic that's going on for him in the present. He says in verse 14, may all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. Apparently, there are other people who are seeking his hurt and seeking his life. You know, life isn't always fair. Sometimes we face challenges that result not from our own poor decisions, but because of the poor decisions of other people. And when that happens, it can seem so trying and so unjust. But settling for suffering as a helpless victim is not our only option, according to David. Grateful people see the bigger picture. They don't fixate on the problem, but on the possibilities. They know that even in the very worst of situations, they can enjoy the fellowship and help of God himself. And so Psalm 40 teaches us that giving thanks isn't an optional extra to dynamic spirituality. It's really essential to what it means to worship God. Thanksgiving is the normal outflow of a life that is connected with God. It is a direct measure of the extent to which we are experiencing that union with God day by day. Thankless people are typically people who have lost touch with God. They've lost the plot. They're way more consumed with lamenting what they don't have than giving thanks for what they actually do. And so God in love prevails in our lives, even when we've made a mess of it or either somebody else is messing with us. The fact is God's love keeps him in the picture regardless of what the situation will be. And so his heart of gratitude causes him to look for God to intervene in his present circumstances. But he doesn't stop there. The last thing he talks about in verse 16 is giving thanks for what God will do in the future. And that's what goes in the blank in your outline. Giving thanks for what God will do in the future. This song of David reaches its crescendo in verse 16 where he expresses confidence thanksgiving for what God is going to do in the future. This is what he says, verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say in the future, the Lord is great. The Lord is great. If we are thankful, we'll seek for God's help the next time calamity comes. When we're thankful, we trust God to remember us when trouble threatens. When we're thankful, we tend to rely on God whenever trouble comes. Which brings us to the big idea for this morning. We try to encapsulate the teaching of every sermon in a big idea that can be a take-home for you. And so here's the big idea for today. Being grateful for what God has done in the past gives you courage for the present and hope for the future. Let me say it again. Being grateful for what God has done for you in the past gives you courage for the present and hope for the future. David in this psalm teaches us how real thanksgiving works. Thanksgiving begins with our will. It's a decision we make to be thankful. Thanksgiving then impacts our emotions and in impacting our emotions, it changes us our story. We move from the story we're telling ourselves, poor me, to the story we're telling ourselves, well, however my difficult situation might be, God is great. 
And thanksgiving always expresses itself in words and actions. It's not something you keep to yourself. When it's genuine, it overflows and makes a difference in our lives and the lives of people around us. I like what Craig Rochelle says about gratitude. He says, gratitude kills pride. Gratitude slays self-sufficiency. Gratitude crushes the spirit of entitlement. When we place our discontented egos on the altar of gratitude, we develop contented alter egos filled with thanksgiving. When we're truly grateful, according to the Psalms, we're acknowledging that every good thing that comes our way comes from God and that we are dependent upon his love and care every single day. And so why are the Thanksgiving songs so compelling? Because they remind us of what we should be thankful for on the one hand, and they give us words to express that thanks on the other. I used to uh, sing in a quartet. I know, shock and surprise for many of you. Uh, when I was in Bible college, and we used to have a signature song. And that song, as it so turns out, is based on Psalm 40, the song we've just been thinking about today. And... Um, the chorus of that song goes something like this. He brought me out of the miry clay. He put my feet on the rock to stay. He put a song in my soul today, a song of praise, hallelujah. Everybody, he, no, no. <laughs> What's the point of that you're asking? And there is a point. The fact is that I learned this song 40 years ago. And it is readily on my lips as it was the first time that I learned it. Friends, that's what the Psalms are meant to do. They are meant to put words in our mouth, to put a song in our heart, to remind us in the most difficult circumstances of life that God is true and God does not forget us and God will come through for us. We can tell him honestly what's going on in our life. He cares about you. We are never, never alone. And the Psalms again and again and again remind us of that truth. But before we're finished today, I want us to listen to the very last stanza, the last verse of David's song. This is what he says in verse 17. But as for me, I am poor and needy. And may the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Maybe you are here in this sanctuary this morning, and this whole discussion of these psalms, these songs, this is brand new stuff to you. But you understand that feeling that David had of being stuck in the mud. You understand what he's saying here in verse 17. I am poor and needy. I wish somebody would think of me. Maybe God, if God would think of me. I want you to know he is thinking of you. And if you have never made a decision to follow after God, to give your life to Jesus Christ, to be his follower, and to experience what David experienced, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now.